welcome to this podcast, recorded live at the Junction Church, Aberdeen. We pray this message inspires and encourages you. For more information, you can connect with us at www.thejunctionchurch.com. Wow, 2019 is uh, <clears throat> has, uh, just opening up to us an extraordinary year of faith and uh, and uh, we've certainly got the rope burning very fiercely behind us. <laughs> it, um, we have found that uh, as we've stepped out as a church and released so many ministries, and, and uh, 2018 was a, for us a transformational year. Uh, and uh, I, I really believe that God has put upon my heart a, 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 a burden that has weighted me down somewhat, way more than, than I've ever felt before in, in, in 20, to his chances, it would be 23 years in March uh, that we've been ministering, that this burden on my heart, that God will do something new in the house. And this burden is, uh, is, is something which is transformational. It's, 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 it's weighty, yet it's liberating. And, and and I really believe that as a church, that God wants us to step into a freshness of the life of his spirit. It, 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 is a, it is something which has often been communicated in the church, that, that the church will often say, God is going to do a new thing. And no one knows what the thing is. <laughs> Just a new thing. It's a, it's a, it's a God's doing it. It's a great thing to say whenever you don't know what to say. Uh, because you know that you're right. Um, <laughs> you can't get that wrong, can you? Because who said what the thing was? So, so God's going to do a new thing. And yet, as we began to speak um, in 2017, as it was, God did something, and I've shared this picture many times, as some of you here won't have heard it before. So I speak it at the, coming towards the end of 2017, around October time. Um, I had just been preaching in our Inverness congregation in the morning. We came back to Sunday night uh, and I came in just a little bit later as I got delayed driving back. Uh, and I remember um, for our Sunday night service, unusually had found that everyone had taken all the front row seats and not, no one had saved me one. And, uh, <laughs> <laughs> and uh, so I found myself sort of sitting where... Um, uh, Andy is right now on the, on the end there, and, and Heidi was leading worship, uh, and she was leading with guitar, and as she was leading worship, I'm just singing away, and my heart is just looking out toward just pulling on God in, in that way that you do when you just need the Holy Spirit to minister and speak to you, and, and as I was, as I was worshipping, I suddenly saw, um, and I can't tell you, this sounds like trying to sort of copy Paul, right? Whether I was in the spirit or in the flesh, I don't know. Uh, I, don't, <laughs> I don't know what happened, right? All I know is that while Heidi was seeing, her face disappeared <laughs> and it was replaced with a, like a, a television screen, an image of the church that I'm looking at. So it's almost like, you know how like you see the, 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 TV, the church and then you see the church again and there's the church and covering Heidi's face was the image of the church. And the church was just, the church that I could see in the image, everyone was just worshipping, just pushing in. 
and, and just there's this incredible surge. And one of the things that's often disturbed me in the image was they were using flags. Um, and we banned flags a long time ago because uh, they poked people's eyes out. And, and, uh, but fortunately, they weren't those normal big ones. They were kind of more like if you've ever been to Denmark, they, they have a, a, a national flag that's quite long and sort of narrow. And they use those to fly at night because in Denmark, you're not allowed to fly the national flag over at night time. And uh, because it brings disgrace on the cross. It's, Weird, right? So, uh, <clears throat> but, but kind of unusual. It's like a, one of the most secular nations on, on earth, and yet they have this sort of deep-rooted kind of tradition that, <clears throat> that brings an honour to God. And in an unusual way, uh, it doesn't, you know, it's not like it's a legal spiritual thing, but it's someone decided that the flag should never be flown at night because it is the cross of Jesus Christ that's in their flag. And uh, so it shouldn't be flown uh, in day- times of darkness. And uh, so they have a different flag for that <laughs> with the same cross on it. So <laughs> anyway, I don't even know how I got onto that. Um, so they have, they have this thing. And, but worship was filled. But there weren't Danish flags. There were just flags. And, and, people were th- and people were pushing in. Now, this image, right, I know it's troubling you, right? <laughs> it changed my life. And because God can speak to you in an image in ways that transform you, that words can't, you can't get enough words to tell you what that image, because I, I saw who the church should be. And once I saw who the church should be, Everything else began to unfold off the back of that. And, and we began to release the vision of a presence culture church, a, a grace culture church, a worship culture church. And we began to speak from Joel chapter 2 verse 19 that God would uh, give us new wine and new oil and there would be a new, uh, uh, new uh, word, a new anointing and that there would be uh, this uh, new work of the Holy Spirit. And at that time, we didn't understand what the new was. We just knew it was a thing. So we began to speak about the new and prophesy it. And God began to transform the, the nature and the life of the church. And we saw many ministries birth out of it, ministries that we hadn't strategically planned, but the Holy Spirit had birthed. One of those is our Sunday night prayer house, which has been the most transformational, life-changing event for the house in, in the way it's impacted people and their relationship with God. And, and I encourage you, because a lot of people struggle with prayer. One, they get bored. Two, they don't think that they can pray that long. Mm-hmm. Three, they're busy right now. And, it, you know, I, yeah, I can't make the prayer meeting. And, and uh, so people struggle with prayer. but They want to pray, but they don't want to go to a prayer meeting because, you know, because it's hard on the flesh, right? The prayer house isn't any of those things because it's worship, but it's prayer. And it brings people into the presence of God. And, and uh, we're not praying for things necessarily. Sometimes we do as we're led by God, but we're not praying for things, but we are praying that we might know him yeah. and that we might walk closer to him. And his presence comes and ministers. And, and we've seen so many people set free. We see people building friendships and relationships across um, the uh, demographics of, of age and, 
and God doing just beautiful things in people's lives. And I, the, in the middle of the year, I, I, just, I just felt this word beauty, and, and this is a beautiful thing. I've never described church as beautiful before. Powerful, amazing, wonderful, incredible, exciting. That's a word everyone likes to use, isn't it? It's exciting. Everything's exciting. And, uh, and you're thinking, I'm sure it's not really, but it is good. You just want to find another word other than exciting. And, but suddenly the Holy Spirit dropped this beautiful into my heart. And, and I began to see that God was doing something beautiful. And, and as he was beginning to do that, so begins to unfold his incredible intention of how he wants this nation saved, how he wants this city saved, how he wants the church to reveal and declare his love for our land and his love for mankind. And, and that, that God has put within us a lamp that should not be quenched. He has put within us the light of his glory that, that people might find his truth and find his love that there may be restoration and I really believe that that as we look at these things we have to understand that God wants us to resolve the crisis of this present culture and this is the thing and I'm going to speak about something I've what I'm speaking about this morning is no surprise because I've spoken it every Sunday for the last few months, but I'm going to do it again because I'm going to keep doing it until I'm convinced we've got it. Because yeah. I think that what I'm speaking about is, um, is mentioned a lot, but somehow never caught. Mm-hmm. And here's the thing about you. A lot of people want to, when they want to go into ministry, they want to do a theology degree, uh, which is good, right? I mean, a theology is good to learn the Bible. It's good to understand the word, etc. But I've seen more people lose faith in a theology degree than I have those who've actually achieved anything for God. And, uh, because the kingdom of God is not taught, it's caught. And, and caught is more than teaching. It's the, it's the catching of life. It's the imitation of who the spirit of God is. It's, the, it, it's something that envelops you. And I wrote something down about this present culture. Uh, a while ago, and, and uh, I thought to myself, oh, I'm going to read it to you because it's not easily said, uh, just me speaking it. So I'm going to just read this to you. This is something I wrote a while ago. The molehills of human inconsistency have become the mountains of outrage and offence. Instead of understanding imperfections are part of our vulnerability and the colour of our frailty, we have created a society that honours hatred as a worthy value of all things that annoy us, while not only ignoring but justifying our own failures as a right of our identity, thus creating a society in constant conflict, unable to resolve its relational breakdowns, because instead of admitting wrong, it hypocritically blames others for all of life's woes, while celebrating those personal faults as part of their own uniqueness. We have... In this nation, socially and politically, the greatest conflict we have known since the reforms of modern politics post-World War II. It's my God-given conviction. We are to live above and not beneath, to lead and not to follow, to influence and not be compromised, to reveal truth 
in its purest form. I believe this takes something greater than a church structure. It takes a corporate and personal shift of values, of thinking, of instinctive behaviors and attitudes. It takes on a new language and lifestyle. It changes how we do church and how we do family and how we do life. Church, I believe that we stand on the cusp of a different kind of church. The Holy Spirit is doing something new, but the thing is something that we actually know what it is now. It's that God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whosoever believes in him shall not perish but have everlasting life. You, you may be shocked at the most repeated scripture of all time being the thing that we didn't realize what it was because for so often we've said that the church God wants to heal and, and he does want to heal. He, he wants people to be filled with the spirit and, and for many generations the, the Lord has been positioning the church within different forms. Back in the 80s, the Lord taught the church how to war and to and to fight for those things which the enemy was robbing out of the house. And then he began to establish apostolic. The, the fivefold ministry began to be restored back into the house of God. And then um, came uh, the teaching gift of faith. And, and then we began to see the Holy Spirit began to restore joy back into the house of God. And, and, and the church began began to build a house of worship and and David's tabernacle as spoken in Acts 15 began to be restored to the house so God has done extraordinary things over the last uh, over our just simply our lifetime since the 1970s that I can remember I can't remember past that because I was only born in the 60s and uh, and people say you're a child of the 60s yeah no (laughs) don't remember it so uh so from that period I can I can see how God has been doing something, but I believe he's leading us to this simple fact, this simple truth that the house of God has a message which is so radical, so transformational that it really deals with the conflict. And so many Christians have been wrestling. I can't tell you how many pastors' conflicts, uh, conferences, conflicts, pastors' com- <laughs> conferences I go to where they talk about the, the wrestle of how to deal with today's social ills and the, 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 the difficulty. What do you do with the the way people are identifying themselves and what do you do with all of the political correctness and the message of how you speak uh, to these people and, and how do you deal with that and, and the oh I don't know and, and some pastors will uh, just say oh we don't worry about any of that and others are very strict and, and they have these values and I'm looking at it standing from afar thinking I'm just keeping my mouth shut because I don't have an answer to this problem. <laughs> And I don't feel I should be contributing to the confusion. (laughs) So I've looked and listened on thinking, I know that God's love is greater than our confusion. And I know that God is doing something. We began to realize that the answer is simply the love of God. And, and, And here's the thing, we're so used to the term the love of God we've we've almost become inoculated against understanding that his love is so transformational 
So I want to read you a scripture that I hope will get into your heart. I hope it will unsettle you. I hope it will sit in the inside and be like a burr in your pants. I hope that you will get this on the inside in 1 John chapter 4, verse 20 to 21. This, I don't just want to be a message for this year. I, I hope it will be a message for the rest of our lives. 1 John chapter 4 verse 20, if someone says I love God and hates his brother, he is a liar. For he who does not love his brother whom he has seen, how can he love God whom he has not seen? And this commandment we have from him who loves God must love his brother also. You know, to see a city saved, we have to understand the what the church needs is a revolution of the heart. Because while we are going to be releasing a training program on how to share faith and how to share the love of God, how to lead people to Christ, and how, to, how to help people step along the journey. We're going to be doing all that. We're going to be releasing a number of programs. We've got a new program coming up called Space which is a one-year quarterly program helping people just reset the stresses of their life and start again. Because I believe that people um, in today's day and age, we often feel stress. We often wrestle with, with difficult circumstances. And, and what we're doing is we're working on a program that will help people, body, soul and spirit, reset, debrief, just get the stuff off that's been a burden over the last three months, deal with all of that, get healed and restored where trouble has come in and then get relaunched and, and do it regularly so that we're not only, because most people only come when it's a li- almost too late. And by that time, the recovery process takes so long that they never get into a position where they're able to carry what God has got for them. And, and I've, seen, I've seen too many people fall away from the faith they confessed because they carried burdens in the heart they didn't know how to let go. And so while we're doing all of those things, the burden that we truly need underneath it all is so revolutionary because it brings the life of God and it brings us into a place where the Holy Spirit brings us into a place where the Holy Spirit and do something so radical and transformational, we really will see the revival yeah. mm. the church has spoken about. Yeah. See, when the church speaks of revival but doesn't know the thing, you can never quite grab it because you can't step into something if you don't know what it is. Yeah. Here's the thing. Matthew 24 12. Then many will fall away, betray one another, and hate one another. Many false prophets will rise up and deceive many. Because lawlessness will multiply, the love of many will grow cold. See how false truths enter society because Hatred and offence prevail. People will believe lies because they're offended. In ministry, 
pastors and ministers will suffer offence and betrayal and have lies spoken of them more than anyone else because we know people's personal lives more than anybody else does. And I found this, that when someone's willing to share their life with you, when their life, when they stumble and they get hurt, they get offended, they hate the person that knows the most. <laughs> and uh, we get to know people's lives intimately. So, so we, we're often on the receiving end of, of people's own frailty and, it is a, it's a very hard thing to carry, but God puts upon a heart. We came to a city, we came into ministry, knowing full well what humanity is like. But we came to do what Jesus told us to do, yeah. which is just to love people. And, and while my human nature, there have been many times over the years, I've not just wanted to punch people I've I've actually wanted to take it a few steps further (laughs) add a little permanence to the (laughs) to resolve the conflict (laughs) and and here's the thing right I've seen a lot of people I've seen people in ministry get take out by that offense that they have suffered by the betrayal and they've just given their lives and all they've ever done is just want to do the best for people and and yet they've suffered in those things. And I've discovered this. I've discovered that the only thing that you can bring to the table is the love of God. And mm-hmm. if you bring anything else, you invalidate your reason for being there. Yeah. Yeah. Here's the truth for all of us. You see, offense, betrayal, now those are the signs of the ends of the the ends of the age. They're the end time signs. That's what we live in the end times. We don't know how long those times are. But we, these are the signs of humanity in that God is building his church. Jesus says, because lawlessness will multiply, the love of many will grow cold. Actually, can you continue putting that scripture up? I just want to throw this in because it, it sounds so depressing. Just keep going, uh, put the next, put 13 up. But he endures to the end, will be saved. Yeah. See, see, God, God creates this beauty. And he, and he says, like, see, I'm going to bring salvation. Now here, look at this. We have, a, res- we have a, a grace which has been given to us, which is so transformational. But it requires the greatest shift and maturity of heart. And it's my prayer that we will build a church that is filled with such beauty, such revolutionary love and grace, that we have such oil of the anointing of the Holy Spirit that the waters of betrayal will only just simply run off our backs. See, Jesus said this in Matthew chapter 5. Matthew 5 is one of the most important chapters of the New Testament. And it's important because it declares the constitution of the kingdom of God. Matthew chapter 5. But I tell you, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you, so that you may be children of the Father in heaven. For he who causes his son to rise on the evil and the good sends rain on the righteous and the 
unrighteous. See, Jesus says, he's saying, look, you have no gain in just loving people who love you because everybody does that. Wow. <laughs> that's, that's not just a phone. That's one connected to the speaker system. <laughs> I'm looking at the sound man going, how does that work? And he's going, oh, I don't know. It's the, it might have been God. Gonna, we just cut him off right there. Sorry, Lord, I'm speaking. You get your turn next week. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I've never had that experience before. <laughs> what gain is there if we love those who love us? Every, every church loves those who love each other. But what will revolutionize this city, what will revolutionize our lives is simply this fact that we will love those who don't love us. Yeah. It is the only validation and it is the only right that we have to stand. You see, I've seen, I've seen people, Christians, who, who will justify their own offence, but their offence invalidates their faith. It invalidates everything that they are. Let me show you something, Matthew, Hebrews chapter 12. I want to show you how the love of God brings restoration. Hebrews chapter 12. Therefore, strengthen your tired hands and weakened knees and make straight paths for your feet so that what is lame may not be dislocated but healed instead. So the context of the writer of the Hebrews is saying, look, let's bring restoration into brokenness. How many of you know what it's like to feel broken? If you haven't known what it's like to be broken, you haven't lived yet. You haven't interacted with people. So we often read that scripture and say strengthen, but the answer to how you strengthen follows. Pursue peace with everyone and holiness. Without it, no one will see the Lord. Now, peace is the manifestation of God's love working through your life. That's what peace is. Peace peace is not the absence of things going wrong. Peace is the manifestation of God's love working in your life. Pursue peace with everyone and holiness. So, So how do you strengthen those weak knees? Pursue peace. Pursue the love of God bringing peace in your life. You with me here? Verse 15. Make sure, see, look at this. Make sure that no one falls short of the grace of God and that no root of bitterness springs up causing trouble and defiling many. And make sure there isn't any immoral or irreverent person like Esau who sold his birthright in exchange for a single meal. Now, let me stop there. Well, let me, no, let me just carry on reading. For you know that later, when he wanted to inherit the blessings, he was rejected, even though he sought it with tears because he didn't find any opportunity for repentance. Now, I was brought up in a church that taught this. 
God has predestined some to be saved. I remember asking this, what about the rest? Well, they're not saved. So he predestined them to hell. No, 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 he hadn't predestined them to hell. They're just not saved because he doesn't, he hasn't chosen them. I, I need you to know that that's a lie and it's not even scriptural, right? Because God has predestined, not predetermined. Predestined doesn't mean predetermined. It means predestined. In other words, he has set for humanity a life with him. He has set a life with God for all of mankind. For God so loved the whole world. And he wants all that men come to repentance, right? So, So God wants everyone to be saved. So Esau, I was taught this. God, because it says in scripture... Jacob he loved, but Esau he hated. So, so God hated Esau and he couldn't come to repentance because God doesn't love him. And I remember thinking in scripture, that ain't right. It ain't right. It doesn't add up to the rest of scripture. God, Esau couldn't repent because God wouldn't let him. Esau did what was wrong because he wasn't chosen. Esau couldn't find repentance Because he had bitterness in his heart. He sought repentance, but he couldn't find it because he wouldn't let go of the bitterness. The problem Esau had was, number one, Christ hadn't come. (laughs) And so there wasn't a revelation of the love of God that restores hearts and lives. And there wasn't a redeeming grace that enabled someone like Esau to be able to come back to God. Esau allowed bitterness to come into his heart, so he despised the inheritance and he despised everything that was actually a blessing to him. Whereas Jacob, even though he showed extraordinary levels of depravity, was actually able to receive it because he loved the inheritance. You see, God heals all bitterness with his love. And when we love those who are bitter, we are loving those who are absolutely broken and unable to refine repentance, but the love of God that touches them through the church is the healing balm that will bring them into a place where they can find repentance again. Because bitterness stops a person from coming into a place of repentance. We have done restoration counseling with many people. We've led them through a place of deliverance and healing and restoration. But when you lead people who don't know Jesus through restoration counseling, it always falls over at this point. Can you forgive those people who've hurt you? No, I can't do it. And we found that almost every single unsaved person, person who hasn't accepted Jesus, will never accept full restoration because they won't forgive. In other words, you can't, if bitterness reigns, forgiveness cannot follow in your own heart. Which is why many will say, but Lord, Lord, did we not cast out demons and heal the sick? And he'll say, but I don't even know who you are. And, and they'll say that because... Bitterness reigned in their heart, not the love of God. Now the church's responsibility is this. Love of God is a healing balm. It's a healing balm. Now look at this. The love of God is so powerful, it brings full 
restoration. I want you to finish with this scripture. We often quote this, but we, we, we misapply its context. Romans 8, 37. Let's just put it up on here. Yes, yet in all these things, we are more than conquerors. Now, he's speaking of things. He's speaking of trial. He's speaking of tribulation. Speaking of things which causes hurt and bitterness. Every trouble you go through is an opportunity to be offended. Every trial you go through is an opportunity for you to be hurt. And Paul writes to the Roman church and he says, in all these things, we are more than conquerors. And everyone goes, yes, in all things, we're more than conquerors. But here's the answer. Through him who loved us. The conquering victory that is ours is through the love of Jesus Christ. God loves you. He loves me. And the love of God enables us to walk in victory. The only victory that we will ever know, the victory of healing power, the victory of deliverance, the victory of restoration of people's hearts and lives will only come when the church embraces the beauty of the love of God. For if God has loved us and forgiven us, then it is our responsibility. It is our joy. It's our embrace that we should bring that love in to the hearts and lives of other people. We are not here to try and resolve people's complicated, complex, broken lives. Only God is the healer of that. But I can assure you, if we love them, God can enter into them. And if we bring love to them, there is a healing restoration that touches our hearts and lives. My church, that come on, this is an extraordinary responsibility, a weight that burdens upon us. Can we change the church of 2019? Can we stop just focusing on ourselves and our ministry and our destiny and things that for us and me, why don't we just suddenly allow ourselves to be driven, motivated by this number one principle and let everything else fall off the back of that. Let us be driven by this simple love. We just love everyone in any context and in any opportunity. Love is hard, right? Really, really hard. I found myself wanting, desperately trying to justify anger, hurt, justify wrath, justify. But I find that the rebuke of God on me is greater than the person who's done the wrong. (laughs) Because... Because I know what I'm doing. Bitterness brings confusion and the hearts of those who haven't got that revelation. We're here, let's just love people. Let's validate the love of God that is on our lives. Let's validate that love and let's minister. Thanks for joining with us. For more information about events, service times and how to connect with us, visit www.thejunctionchurch.com.